We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon. Um, Remember, we looked quite a bit at Solomon on Sunday as we went through chapter 9. And really, Solomon's a biographical sketch in the scriptures that's not real positive. No matter how you slice Ecclesiastes, you know, you got to put it somewhere in Solomon's life. And again, Solomon's a guy who has handed immense opportunities. He was set up really to affect the whole world because of Israel's position in the, the center of trade routes from east to west, north to south, as the kingdom was established on earth there through Solomon's father, David. Solomon entered into call from the Lord to be king. He wasn't, wasn't just nepotism, you know, David handing this, the kingdom off to his son, but the Lord agreed with that. Okay, Solomon can be the next king. And um, so David has established the kingship in peace and, and Israel's united. Solomon really picks it up and sees uh, the temple built, right? And remember, it got the court of the Gentiles, so the, it was supposed to be a house of prayer for the whole world, right? He's got every opportunity to reach the whole world, and yet we see him set the course over 40 years of kingship. We really don't know about anything about those 40 years other than, in the end, he's got the beginning of idolatry in Israel. He's setting up high places for all the pagan idols brought in by his many wives. It's really... a uh, a bad, I mean, see, he just doesn't finish well. And Ecclesiastes, no matter where you put it, some people put it at the beginning of Solomon's life, towards the beginning, after he's, he's kind of exercised himself in seeking out wisdom, seeking, you know, and trying to satisfy himself with partying and women and construction and achievements and, and all that sort of stuff. Some people put it at the beginning, some people put it at the end. I, I tend to put it towards the end because of, um, of what he says about what we're going to see tonight is he starts to, to talk to the youth and he, he kind of has a flavor of, I should have known better. And so uh, we pick it up in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and Solomon is uh, beginning to lead us in a direction of drawing some conclusions over the next couple of chapters. He is in these chapters just giving some basic philosophy of life from the standpoint of, of looking at life under the sun, the sun being S-U-N, not S-O-N. We're under the sun, S-O-N, right? But he is, he is trying to forge a life of meaning without God really being in the mix. God's on the perimeter. He can't escape that, but... He, he's trying to, to forge a philosophy of life from just pure earthly wisdom and looking at the, the meaninglessness of, of life and the emptiness of, of trying to find any sense in life. So uh, chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Uh, dead flies, uh, it's the only good fly I can think of, is a dead one. But, um, you know, a perfumer's ointment, someone who's skilled in making the, the perfumes and um, 
uh, ointments that they used either in the in the temple or just you know uh, the the cosmetic sort of sort of perfumes. You know, one uh, you have you craft it, it goes through through very uh, careful extractions and combinations and things, and he produces a beautiful thing. But somewhere along the line, some little fly gets in there and gets caught in it and dies. And then you open up the bottle, and it doesn't smell like fields of flowers. It smells like piles of deadness and gross things. And so, just one little fly, and he says that's just like someone who you know, ha- has a life and a reputation for wisdom and honor who, you know, in a moment of weakness, in a, in a moment of letting their guard down, do something dumb. And suddenly that's what they get tagged with. And, um, you know, one, one mistake can lead to a lot of ir- uh, 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 irreversible um, situations in life. And um, so, uh, again, this is the practical wisdom of, um, you know, noticing that one little mistake can lead to, uh, you know, a, a series of dominoes falling over in your life that you just can't stop. And so be very, very careful. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. Now, that's... That's kind of a cultural thing. The right hand, you've heard in the Bible, right hand of honor and power. You know, the right hand is the one that's got all the skill, at least. We're not, we're not knocking lefties here. I'm not, you know, saying that, that the Bible says anything like that. But in that, in that culture, the right hand was the strong, trained, you know, admirable position. The left hand was uncoordinated and it was kind of symbolic of weakness. Um, so... Uh, even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. The idea is, um, you know, no matter what you do, you can't hide foolishness. Uh, someone who is a fool, that's kind of a technical term, remember. Um, a technical term of a fool is someone who has rejected has heard the truth and rejected it and chooses to consider themselves absolutely right. I, you know, I, I've, I've got life figured out. I can do these things apart from God, apart from uh, any instruction from anybody. And so, uh, you know, even when he's just walking along the way, you can't hide it that he's a fool because the inside comes out somewhere. If the spirit of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. Even if you run into a fool in high places, don't panic, don't run away, don't leave your post. If you run into a fool in a place that's, you know, you've got to answer to, um, and they come out against you in such a manner that is um, not accurate, you know, it's based on their foolishness. Look, you you could you could take your stand and make a moral statement, take the you know, and say, "Well, I'm going to walk away from this. I can't believe." It. And he says, "No, just just wait. You know, it'll cool off, it'll settle down, um, and uh, they'll come to their senses." Verse five: There is an evil I have seen under the sun, as an error proceeding from the ruler. Again, um, foolishness in 
high positions as it's coming out of um, authorities. And here it is. Folly is set in great dignity while the rich set in, sit in a lowly place. The idea is the rich are the, um, are the ones who uh, are uh, wise and educated and uh, successful and they should be the ones with the dignity and the honor, but instead, um, someone who doesn't know and doesn't get it and isn't adept or qualified for the position gets the position. And I know you've never been there, right? Uh, I, um, I have seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. Um, you know, promotion is often illogical. And uh, uh, sometimes it's not based on merit. You know, and unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Um, it's an unfair world, and um, it's uh, you know, um, it's, it's it's difficult to deal with. You know, I've heard plenty of stories from you and the fellowship. You know, you're you've been working at the job for a long time, and someone else has too, but they just don't get it, and, they, and they're constantly making mistakes. But somehow they get the promotion, and you don't, and. Um, you know, his, 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 his uh, wisdom here is, well, you know, it's just the way life is right now, so deal with it. And it's not the greatest thing to do, but he, at least he's got his eyes open, you know. Verse 8, he says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits word may be endangered by it. Um, this is about caution in life. Um, you know, I've heard, I, I read different interpretations of this. Um, you know, when I see, see the idea of somebody digging a pit, um, that's always in the scripture usually about setting a trap for someone. The idea is you dig a pit and somebody else falls into it. But uh, here he's saying, you know, if, if, if this is the correct interpretation, um, those who set out that way to catch somebody else they're going to end up in it themselves. But then he says, he who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by them. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, par- a, a parallel thought in terms of, okay, there's someone who's plotting rotten stuff, and they end up getting hurt. Here's someone who's doing okay stuff, and they're going to get hurt too. And uh, so um, verse 10, if the axe is dull and, and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. That's the, that's the gist. Wisdom is going to bring success. Um, you know, keep a sharp edge. Stay sharp, verse 10. Um, one doesn't sharpen the edge. Um, again, just practical wisdom that he's trying to, uh, trying to give us um, an earthbound view of making it through life. Um, those who talk too much is verse 11 through 15. He says, a serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. And that's said in contradiction or, or in comparison to the lips of a fool will sw- shall swallow him up. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Um, you know, a wise man recognizes that he's not in favor because he deserves it. 
uh, from the Lord, but he's in favor just because the Lord is gracious and, uh, and the Lord chooses uh, to be gracious towards us when we do not deserve it. And so the wise man recognizes that and, um, and, and doesn't take a position of, I'm, I've received this because of my greatness, but it's just the Lord has done this, and I don't know why, but I'm thankful for it. The lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. Uh, you ever had a conversation like that? I've had a few of those. Um, some people just have kind of a stream of consciousness connection between from the, mouth, the brain to the mouth, and there just isn't any reason to, to not say it if it's in the brain. You know, I've run into a few of those over the years. And, uh, uh, or, or you talk to somebody, and, um, you know, nobody here, I'm not talking about you, um, but uh, elsewhere, uh, you know, talking to somebody and they start talking about something and it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. And you just want to go, I'm done with this conversation. Um, a fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The idea is um, the fool thinks he can say exactly where things are going to be when he doesn't have any idea. You know, um, in context is, is he can't predict the future, but he thinks he's got it all figured out. And I know you've met people like that. Um, they can say clearly in their mind where they're going to be such and such a time, but, you know, there's a lot of unknowns out there. And... Um, uh, they they just uh, don't see it that way. And, um, verse 15, the labor of fools wearies them. In other words, they don't know how to get it done. For they do not even know how to go to the city. They can't find their way to the city, even in the basics. So uh, verse 16, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Um you know, those were the low points um, in, in, any, uh, in the, uh, the kings that were laid out there. With some exceptions, there was one king that was good who was a child, Josiah. He came to the throne and he was eight. But um, there was times when, when children were handed um, and it just didn't go well, right? I mean, I can think of, you know, uh, I, I can't imagine taking a junior high kid and, and making him president. You know, every Thursday would be Nintendo Day or something. Um, you know, it just, it would be silly. Um, uh, in uh, some of the, the prophets, uh, prophecies of uh, the major prophets, it talks about the Lord judging the nation of Israel and says, I'm going to put children over you. That's, you don't want children ruling the country. Again, every, you know, Dinner on Friday has to be, uh, you know, M&M's and kind of silly stuff like that. Um, But you don't have to be um, young to be childish, right? I mean, you can have very childish leaders, and um, they can they 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 can be well into their you know um, old age, still be childish. And your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles, and your princes feast at the at the proper time. The idea is, 
sons and children of nobles, the nobles have seen that there's responsibility and there's um, urgency to administration, and it's a very, very weighty, serious matters. And so we set towards educating, training, and preparing people for those positions. Um, the flip side of that is um, um, your prince's feast at the proper time instead of in the morning, back 16, back in verse 16, but in the middle of verse 17, the prince's feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you need the, the energy to do the work or to go to battle. You don't need a party in the morning. And um, that's always a, uh, it's always a, um, a sign of um, depravity when, uh, you know, you, you see the um, government officials or uh, rulers um, partying. It's just not, it doesn't fit. Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Now, that's set in the context of foolish leaders. Um, Look, any sort of organization, or even, uh, you know, where the, uh, and again, it's drawn about um, the the facilities the leadership would use, you know, any any significant... um, kingship or, or government is going to have a, a big building, lots of people coming and going, administration offices, things and stuff like that. You've got to maintain that. If you don't maintain it, it's going to fall apart. Well, it's reflective of the administration, of the, of the organization. If it's not, if you don't work hard at it, um, you know, just like a building leaks uh, and eventually crumbles, so does, a, so does an organization if it isn't maintained through hard work. Verse 19, a feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry. And then again, in the context of the rich and the foolish, uh, not that they're the same, but um, he says uh, money answers everything. <laughs> money is the answer for everything. Uh, and it does. It says goodbye. Um, so, uh, um uh, you know, uh, those uh, are foolish leaders who think that money is the answer for everything. It's not. Do not curse the king, even though in your, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, uh, even in your bedroom, for a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. You ever heard the saying, a little bird told me? Well, it, came, it comes out of the Bible. It's one of those colloquialisms we get from the scriptures. Um, you never know what you're saying. You never know if you're, t- if you're telling somebody something that ought not to be said. You, you have no control over what they're going to say when they're apart from you. So, um, again, um, be very, very careful of what you say and even of what you think because you don't know when it's going to leak out. You know, there's a, there's a connection between our brains and our mouths. And we have to monitor that at all times, and keep a, keep a keep a close watch on your own mouth. Chapter eleven: Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven, and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Now he's he's kind of landing a little bit here in Ecclesiastes, bringing it to a little more uh, reasonable approach to life. 
And he's, he's saying, even though, you know, we've walked through this, this life and looked at everything, and there's a lot of meaninglessness, there's a lot of time and chance, in his standpoint, from his standpoint of who he was, you know, Solomon looking at, at the life and, and, and all that he accomplished and, and realizing, you know, for all I've done, I don't know who's going to inherit all this and what they're going to do with it. And for all the mistakes I see people make and, and the randomness of life in some ways, in his view of things, um, still he's, he's kind of landing on his feet here and he's saying, okay, there's still life to live and it's still worth uh, doing good things. And here's the, here's the way he's walking into it. Cast your bread upon the waters that you may find it after many days. What does that mean? Um, this is a, um, a poetic language encouraging towards uh, generosity and being kind, being generous. Uh, you don't, casting your bread upon the waters is, um, you know, being... Uh, looking for opportunities to be generous and to be kind to people. Um, give a serving to seven and also to eight. Uh, in other words, you know, e- even in even in money, we uh, in we diversify. You know, that when when financial planners say, um, you know, when your investments, oh, you should diversify because if something goes bad, or you're protected in in lots of different areas. The the recommendation is here: well, invest in people. As, as often as you can, because when the bad times happen or, or when evil comes, you, first of all, you're going to lose your opportunities then. You might lose all your opportunities to be generous. And you don't know how it's going to come back to you later. So um, diversify. Be as kind as you can. Uh, this is, shouldn't be strange to them. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Let me read to you a few... Um, Admonitions out of Deuteronomy 15. It says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of your gates, the gates of your, in your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Uh, and then verse ten eleven, you shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works, and in all to which you put your hand. We were also going to go to Proverbs eleven. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, it's just kind of like what he wrote here, casting your bread upon the waters. The idea of being generous. In, in opportunities when you find them. And be creative about it. Verse 24, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. That's, that's the same thing. Cast your bread upon the water, sort of a boomerang effect. You throw it out there, and then... You know, we're not doing it to get back. That's not why we do it. But the Lord sees it. And um, if we are being generous to people and being kind, um, you know, the Lord's going to see that, and he takes stock of that. He's not, he's not a debtor to any man. And if we do it in the Lord's name, he's going to see to it that it comes back around to us um, in ways that might be surprising, might be much later. You might have forgotten about it. 
but the Lord hasn't. And uh, so he sees to it that if you are going to water, be somebody who waters people and takes care of them, when the time comes, you will find the Lord uh, taking care of you. Um, I had one more verse on that. Proverbs 22.9 He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Let's go to verse 3 back in Ecclesiastes 11. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Okay. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Uh, Okay, so again, he's kind of given us admonitions of, of basic wisdom in life. And he's saying, you know, there's a lot of happenstance in life. And um, the wind blowing, the rain coming, it's going to come. The tree falls over in just some random way. Um, He he says, you know, uh, these things are outside of your control. You can't focus on on how and why sometimes random events happen in this world. It's just a a world that's going that way. But... um, if, if we focus on what might be and outside of our control, we'll never go forward in ways we should. And so uh, focus on the opportunities when we get them. Um, um, do your best, commit the rest. That's kind of a colloquialism we've coined in here in Calvary's movement there. Do your best, commit the rest. When you get the opportunities, um, do it. Verse 5, as you do not know what is the way of the wind uh, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that. Again, um, there's things that are going on around you that... um, even though they're commonplace, they're beyond your understanding. Uh, you do not know what the way of the wind. Now, of course, today's technology, we have satellites, we have meteorological sciences that have told us about winds that they just didn't know about, and the, the circuits of, of trade winds and you know all those things, a jet stream. So we need to know a little more about it, but still, um, uh, don't lose sight of the fact that you... You know, there, there are things passing before you every day where you can do good and take the opportunity to seize it. Don't let it pass you by. Um, in the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, do not withhold your hand. You don't know which one is going to prosper. Take the opportunity. Be creative in the moment. You know, I, in the last... Um, Recent time periods, uh, you know, that's a kind of a new thing that has transpired in, in my own ministry. Um, um, just realizing as circumstances kind of unfold that are, you know, uh, sometimes they're surprising. You don't know why you are where you are. Um, I've kind of tried to form a, a habit of getting into those situations and ask, what's the ministry here? Uh, how can I? 
be the hand of the Lord here some way to bless this person, to do something good for them. And don't just sit there. I don't want to just sit there and just have a conversation with somebody, you know, in, in some happenstance way. I want, I want to um, calculate there in those moments. How can I bless this person in the Lord's name? What can I do? I don't want that opportunity to get by me. You do not, do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And now he's going to... Um, uh, he's going to give some instruction to youth as he kind of winds up his um, his view of life, and he's going to land on his feet like we've said. Truly, light, truly, the light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Um, again, he, I, th- I think he's speaking to, again, um, the younger set, being maybe older in, in his uh, time of writing this. He's looking back at, at who he was. And, you know, the scripture says that that time when Solomon was first entering into the call of the Lord upon him to be king, he said he had a tender heart toward the Lord. And um, reflecting on that maybe after a time of repentance and the end of his life realizing the mistakes he's made, um, you know, he's, he's got an eye towards speaking to those coming up in the next generation and saying, look, um, the youth you have is valuable and, and enjoy it because, you know, eventually down the road, all that vitality, all that youth is going to going to, well, life's just going to wear it out. You're, you're not going to be the same energetic, resilient um, person um, that you are now. And so uh, there's some value there um, to not miss out on. Uh, but remember, these things are out in front of you that are going to pass, and you're, you're not going to have, you're going to get old. In other words, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Um, again, he's speaking to youth and recognizing the value and um, blessings of youth. You know, youth said, said youth is wasted on the young. Um, you know, uh, there is some trend that way, obviously, a lot of... When I was younger, uh, you know, I had no ad, uh, uh, I had no energy to, to no vision to do anything with that life. That's why I really think highly of the youth that go out, go to the military, and uh, go out and, and have a vision for much larger things. I mean, I I took the path of least resistance and um, set a course for mediocrity. And uh, so, uh, when I see people going out there, young people with that kind of um, drive to excel. Wow, I, I, I get excited. I get envious of them in a lot of ways. Um, I, think, I think Solomon is seeing that and saying, look, enjoy your youth, but he's not saying, go out and sow your, sow, sow your wild oats and then later on, you know, pick the weeds. Um, no, he's not saying that. He's saying, okay, you have 
you have the heat of youth with you, the energy, the, the drive, the vision, but, but set that in context, and this is where I think he begins to land on his feet. God will bring you to judgment, therefore remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Um, again, he, he does begin to gather up God into the mix uh, here and begin to say, if, if you're going to go forward with all of that energy and light and um, spontaneity, get God in the mix too. Be bold, be brave, be adventurous, uh, but do it with a heart that's got God right there and stay away from the things that are, that are going to bring sorrow to you and that are going to um, be evil. And then chapter 12, really, he does... Um, talk in poetic language about getting old and um, poetic allergy, uh, uh, allegories regarding aging of the body. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Um, you know, that, that um, <laughs> you know, if there's ever a reason to pray for the youth group and the children, boy, I like to say this, um, you know, I encourage people to put the, the children's ministry and the youth group on your daily prayer list. You know, it's, first of all, it's the Lord's heart. When you, when you go and you look up the passages in the scripture where the Lord actually delineates what ministry is, a few, few short things, in all of them, uh, he says something along the lines of this, seek the young. And so uh, every um, ministry that's going to grow up and go forward in the Lord it's got to have their eyes on the young and the youth to reach them and to incorporate them, not to just keep them busy, you know, to keep them so that they don't disrupt our study. And that's not it. It's not glorified babysitting. It's we're going to minister to kids. We're going to implant God's word into them. When they're young, we're going to feed them God's word. Because, look, if, you know, not everybody can afford to send their kids to a Christian school. Not everybody has the, has the opportunity to homeschool kids. They just, you know, it's a brutal world. You've got to have, you know, two incomes and stuff like that to make it through life. So maybe homeschool isn't, isn't available to you or, or it's not that, you know, you, you end up having to send your kids to public school. Maybe that's the choice. That's okay. That's okay. But, this, you know, they get 40 hours of indoctrination in, in more than just ABCs and reading, writing, and arithmetic. They get values handed to them. And so when we see the kids coming here, we recognize um, this is an extremely valuable time for, uh, for them to um, be fed a light and truth and um, in, a, in a setting where they can understand it and they can grasp uh, and know that God loves them and why they should look at the scriptures as infallible and trusting that God's not going to lie to them, has never lied to them. And so um, that's my pitch for the children's ministry, okay? There you go. Remember now the creator in the days of your youth. Oh, that's what I was saying. My train, train of thought got off at uh, the boarding station there. I forgot what I was going to say. So this is what I was going to say. Given that we all got, you know, I got saved in my 20s, in my mid-20s. I don't know when you got saved, you know, 30s, 40s, whatever. 
How would your life have been different if you had had the opportunity to receive the Lord when you were six, seven, eight? Yeah, some of you guys are going, ooh. By the time we got to 14, 15, right, it was over except the fat lady singing, right? I mean, it was just a train wreck, and we were headed for, um, we're headed for a meltdown. What if somebody had you on their prayer list, or you were the beneficiary of a spirit-filled children's ministry when you were little dude, little girl? How would it have been different? Pray for the children's ministry. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light and the moon and the, uh, uh, moon and the stars are not darkened. In other words, um, again, this is allegorical poetic language about the dimming of eyesight. As you get older, you know, that happens. And the clouds do not return after the rain. Uh, the idea is, you know, after a nice rainstorm, the clouds break and there's sunshine. Well, in this setting that he's talking about, uh, in allegorical language, it's just kind of a cloudy day all the time. And, you know, as you get older, it can be that way. It doesn't matter if the sun's shining or not. You know, because the bodies just don't work the way they used to. Um Got a lot of life under our belts. There's no break, you know. Uh, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, um, you know, the, the advent of old age can sometimes signal the essential tremors and things. And the strong men bow down as the body begins to suffer, you know, the weakness of, of strength and you begin to shuffle a little slower and, when the grinders cease, because they are few, the grinders are those funny little white things in your teeth that bite your teeth. Um, uh, well, you know, because they're few. <laughs> They've, well, it's a partial rapture. They've taken your teeth ahead of you, right? Um, um, the grinders have ceased, you know, you just not. And those that look through the windows grow dim. Again, allegorical language of a house here. The windows, um, you know, the dimness of vision or, or kind of things. When the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, um, the hearing is, is, is on the down, decrease, you know, you start losing those range ranges of hearing you don't hear the highs you don't hear the lows you've been to many kiss concerts you know you just don't hear that anymore um when one one rises up at the sound of a bird uh the idea there is rest is difficult to come by and the small little noises will disturb your rest and all the daughters of music are brought low um, you can't hear clearly the vocal, you know, the the music ranges. Uh, also, they are afraid of height. Well, you know, uh, uh, we used to whip up and down those ladders, up and you know, without hands and just going up and down carrying tool bags and stuff. And you're going. Now you look at a ladder and it's like, uh, who else can we get to do this job? <laughs> Because, you know, even the step stool is a fall from the step stool when you're old. 
afraid of heights. And that's appropriate, you know. There's some self-awareness there. And the terrors in the way um, when the almond tree blossoms. Almond trees blossom white. (laughs) Many of you have blossomed white, if you have anything left to blossom. (laughs) The grasshopper is a burden, even if a grasshopper were to land on you, that would be a heavy burden. And desire fails, um, you know, just the passions of life just aren't there. This is, again, allegorical language of just getting old and, you know, the energy and the body is winding down. Bodies, these bodies don't last forever, you know that. Um, uh, I, I, you know, the healing properties and the energy levels just aren't there anymore. And um, um, you know that's uh, the bodies aren't these. These are wonderful bodies. They're they're amazing uh, inventions. Uh, the Lord has, in His infinite wisdom, fashioned these from dirt, <laughs> and they do amazing things. They, uh, you know, they're if you look at it from the standpoint of just being a machine, they're energy machines. We can find our own energy and store it and, um, and release it later in manageable ways when we need it. Uh, they can, as you use them, they get better in some ways, right? A little exercise. Uh, I use my car. It doesn't get better. It wears out. Um, you know, they're, they're wonderfully um, created for this environment of, um, you know, 83% nitrogen, 17% oxygen, gravity. Um, but they're infected with sin, and they age, and they die. And uh, even if I, I take this body that's amazingly uh, adapted for a lot of things down here, if I, if I go a few thousand feet up, I have to bring oxygen with me, and I have to bring my environment with me. You know, i got to stay warm. I can't go to you know ten thousand feet, twelve thousand feet without some some hardship. I can't go underwater without having to take my atmosphere with me. So there's limits here, and the body um, is fit for this environment on Earth. It's not fit for heaven. Heaven is a different environment, and so as we say at funerals, you know. When age or disease or uh, accidents um, turn our broad bodies into prisons and we can no longer express who we are anymore through these bodies, then it's God in his mercy and his perfect time releases us from these bodies. And so um, verse 5, middle of verse 5 here, a man goes to his eternal home. Um, and that's the eternal side of it. That's the spiritual side of it. And the mourners go about the streets. Uh, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Again, allegorical picture, pictures of, um, you know, the irreversible. Um, the silver cord, the tie maybe of our soul and spirit to this body, whatever that is like, whatever that is, he likens it to a silver cord and a golden bowl. And then the pitcher shattered at the fountain, 
You know, there's no repair for that. Uh, the wheel broken at the well. Um, so uh, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. The end of life. Remember your creator. That's, that's the gist. Verse 6, remember your creator. And verse 12, remember now your creator. Um, so again, I think he's, like we've said, coming to his senses in some ways. I think he had, but he was um, reflecting on his life in Ecclesiastes of trying to forge a life uh, under the sun, S-U-N. And um, as we said uh, in other studies of Ecclesiastes, I am so glad I don't have to do that, aren't you? That all the things that are absolute and true and pure and good in life have already been handed to us. And, and we don't have to try to, to understand life in our own thinking, in our own resources. The God, God has given us light and truth in his word. And we can, we can forge ahead in life going forward and all the things the Lord has appointed for us with certainty and with hope and with light. And, and um, I think uh, Solomon is, is, has come to his senses here in Ecclesiastes and um, um, verse 8, he kind of, um, you know, tips his hat here this way to where he was. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. It's not a very positive outlook about life. There's more to say about life than that uh, from the standpoint of light and truth and um, uh, what the New Testament reveals, what the, you know, um, that uh, Jesus Christ brought immortality to light and... Um, so, so there's much more to say about life here um, than what he is, is dropping on us at the end here. But nine, verse 9, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Uh, we uh, have the book of Proverbs that he wrote, and he was still an instructor. People still sought out his wisdom from around the world. Um, even though he was going through a time reflected in Ecclesiastes. Uh, verse 10, the preacher sought out to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Uh, wow, I, I like verse 11. Um, for all the things that he has tossed at us uh, some practical wisdom and some nonsense I think I think verse 11 shines in Ecclesiastes really brightly um, I think the last few verses here he really uh, comes out with some some beautiful wisdom the words of the wise are like goads a goad is you know like the long stick that you're driving oxen you want them to go forward or steer them you've got a long stick and you poke them one side or the other um uh, the the words of the wise are like goads. Uh, things that are wise are uh, inescapable in the truth that they deliver, and they bring us to a point of of action and change. And uh, that's what the that that's what the words of life are for, right? To to uh, move us in the direction of light and truth and godliness. 
Words of the wise are like goads. Um, you know, Paul, in the New Testament, remember that? When Paul got saved, what did Jesus say to him there? It's hard for you to kick against the goads, Paul. That whole imagery of Paul as, a, as an animal not really liking the direction the Lord was trying to poke him in, trying to get him to go. Words of the wise are like goads. And the words of scholars are like well-driven nails. From the standpoint of a guy who did a lot of construction, engineering, I like that. It makes sense to me. Um, you know, something that's structurally sound and firm. Wow, you can really um, put a lot of trust in that. It's not going anywhere. Um, the, the, um, the, you know, I think, I think the New Testament has a little bit stronger picture, a, a much stronger picture of of something that's stable that you can build upon. And right where Jesus said, those who hear my words and do them are alike, I will liken them to a wise man who dug deep and built his house upon the rock. Again, I really appreciate that imagery from an engineering standpoint. And uh, uh, when, the, when, the, when the floods descended and the, you know, the rain came, that house was able to stand not because uh, it, it had anything special, because of its foundation, it had found a solid place from which to draw strength. Um, and so words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And we know that shepherd, uh, the shepherd. We, the scripture says we have returned to that shepherd of our souls, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Um, and further, my son, be admonished by these of making books. There is no end. I heard a statistic back way back in 1985. They were producing 127 books a day. That's what was being produced. What is it now? I don't know. Making of books, there is no end, and much studies is wearisome to the flesh. Now, I would like to pull that out during college and handed it to a few professors, but uh, that's that's past me now. Uh, much study is wearisome to the flesh. So let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Drum roll, please. Here we go. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is man's all. Um, again, I think Mr. Solomon here um, stands up and takes a responsibility for the life he has led and the errors he uh fell into in the idolatry of his um, his wives led him astray. I, I think he's regretting that. I think he's looking at what he has done and realizing, I've set things in, in motion here. I don't know how to stop. So he's talking to us and to those who are coming up behind and saying, look, I, I went to some bad places and it was worthless and empty and but here, let me hand you this. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Um, again, the fear here isn't, I'm afraid of him. It's um, reverential awe and respect. Uh, it's coupled with love. Uh, you know, I love God. I want him with me. I want him in uh, the conscious awareness of him in my life. I know you do day by day. I want to wake up to it. I want to be in fellowship with him all the time. But I also don't want to get on his bad side. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? Don't, don't, show, don't show hands, no show hands. But um, uh, I, I don't want to go there again. In that reverential awe of him, I don't, uh, 
uh, I know what he's what he can do, and I don't want to. I love being in his grace. I don't want to be in any other position. So fear God. Keep his commandments. Jesus said, He who loves me, he who has my word and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and we will come to him and manifest ourselves to him. Again, we, we can say we love God. But we live out love for God in obeying Him. And we, we don't obey Him to earn His love, right? We know that. We already have His love. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, we, we have seen, seen that love that He's given us, and we respond in love. And out of that love, we want to obey. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So um, Solomon, I think, winds up here very well, saying, you know, um, as you live your life before God, you might as well be totally honest before him because you're not hiding any from, anything from him. So be done with sin. You know, what was that old saying that Pastor Chuck used to teach, teach us? Love God, hate sin. <laughs> There's a song that goes with that, Reckon the Old Man Dead. But I won't give you nightmares by singing that. Ecclesiastes, I think, uh, shines with some, few, some beautiful wisdom at the end there that we can um, glean from, from Solomon's life. So let's finish up there. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the life of Solomon laid out to us as you have in the Scriptures. Help us to glean from him, Lord, and plant these things that are of you in our hearts and minds. We just want to glorify you in our lives. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And we ask you to fill us with your spirit that we might be led of you the rest of this week. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.